And uh, thank you for the welcome that I've received from a number of you. It's been great. It's lovely also to see what God is doing here at Living Hope. It's just wonderful. And, and I will be praying and do pray that God would continue to bless you guys as you seek to move forward. Also, great musicians, you guys. You should come and visit Cape Town and, and we could do with a bit of that good music. So thank you so much. Uh, as we come to our passage this morning, which is, as you've seen, it's Romans chapter 8. There are a few terms that need some clarification because they can be a little bit confusing, especially if you're coming to them fresh. So the first term that I'd like to just spend a moment on just thinking a bit about is this term, the flesh. When Paul speaks about the flesh, what do you think he's speaking about? He speaks of the law being weakened by the flesh. Verse 3. He speaks of people living according to the flesh. Verse 5, and so on. So what does he mean when he speaks of the flesh? Do you think he's referring to the meat that is held in place by this flesh, by the skin, or do you think he's referring to something else? I used to have, uh, in, in, in New Zealand, a little dog called Felix, and he was the best dog you could imagine. He was, he was the sweetest. He used to sleep by my bedside, just looking out for me. If somebody came... You know who shouldn't be there? Felix would let me know. When I went walking or running, Felix was beside me with his little legs going ding, ding, because he's quite small. Um, he used to go and collect the, the, the ball. If you threw a ball for him, he'd go and pick it up and bring it back, with tail wagging, and then off he'd go again. But, but there was something about Felix that really, really bugged me, bothered me. Because when you weren't looking, when you were you know, distracted, he would go and he would roll in this mucky stuff on the ground. Smelly ass. Get it on his fur. And then we'd come back and, oh, geez, Felix, what are you... And, you know, you could shout at him, you could berate him, you could say, Felix, don't do that! But there was something in his nature. I think he had a doggy nature that made him do the sort of things that dogs do, which is to roll in muck. I think this doggy nature would say to him, I don't care about what you know your master is saying, go ahead and do it, because it's lots of fun. And I think when Paul speaks of the flesh, he's speaking about something very similar. He's not referring to what's inside our skin, but he's speaking about our brokenness, that in us that makes us always go in the wrong direction, not God's way, but our way. And sometimes this flesh is referred to in different ways. Sometimes as the old nature. Sometimes as the old man or the old woman in us. That, that part in us that inclines us, that induces us, that, that coerces us to go in the wrong direction. To take care of number one. To look after ourselves first and foremost and not to care about others. It's all to do with the flesh. So I've noticed in Zimbabwe, when the lights go red, you know you're at the stoplights, the robots, and, and the lights go red, I've noticed that people keep going through the red lights long after they've turned red. And I ask myself, why do people do that? And the only thing that I can think is because of the old nature. There's something in them, or us, that says, no, I'm important. I don't see why I should stop and wait for others. I think I'm just going to keep going. I don't care the fact that I might cause an accident. As long as I serve my needs, 
I'm going through. Sorry, guys. And off they go. It's the old nature. The nature that inclines us to disobey the, the, the laws at work. So when you find yourself driving through a red robot, remember this. <laughs> In verse 4, Paul speaks of people who walk according to the flesh. And, and when I hear that word walk, I think automatically it's something that's ongoing. Walking according to the flesh. It's the normal way of behavior. It's the pattern of somebody's life. The flesh is saying, go left. So they listen and they follow and they go left. The flesh says, turn right. And so they turn right. They walk, they respond, they live according to what the flesh is dictating. So so if you're always gossiping, for example, about other people, if you're always acting out of selfishness, If you're always flying off the handle, getting angry, throwing your toys out of the cot, having little tantrums, that says to me that there is something of that flesh that is quite dominant there. You're walking, it seems to me, according to the flesh. But but that's not all that Paul has to say about the flesh. He also says, in terms of the flesh, that people set their minds on the flesh. Have a look at verse 5. To set one's mind on the sinful flesh is, 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 is a way of thinking. It's a settled opinion. It, it's something that we set ourselves to think about, to do. It's something conscious. It's ongoing. This is the normal, everyday manner of thinking. It's like when somebody takes revenge or wants to take revenge. They don't just suddenly think about it. No, no, they plan it. They dream about it. They have ideas of how they're going to get even. And when the opportunity arises, they strike. This is a normal, everyday manner of thinking for them. The unfaithful husband. He sets his mind on the flesh. He says to himself, I'll try and do it without her finding out. And he plans ways and devises means to meet with his lover. He deceives her by saying, I'm going to go and do some work. I'm going to be at the office and he's doing something else. He lies to everybody, his own family, his friends, everyone, just to keep his his love affair secret. It's, It's a manner of thinking. It's to set his mind on the flesh. So to set your mind on the sinful flesh suggests the idea of an ongoing way of thinking when you hold bitterness in your heart and you will not forgive when you enjoy your lustful thoughts when you visit those places on the internet when you engage in rumor and gossip you set your mind on these things that's the flesh there's another term that 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 needs a bit of clarification and it's the term that we find in these verses and throughout the rest of of Paul's writings the word death what do you think Paul's referring to when he speaks about death the wages of sin is death Romans chapter 6 verse 23 who will deliver me from this body of death Romans 7 24 and then in our own passage to set the mind on the flesh is death chapter 8 verse 6 so, so when Paul speaks of death, do you think he's just thinking in terms of like, you know, like when we croak, 
Do you think that's what he's... When, when your heart stops beating and you stop breathing and, and that, that flat line beep happens on the screen. Is that what he's talking about, do you think? Paul is speaking about spiritual death. He's speaking about the fact that when we, when we go against God, when we live according to our own ways, in some sense we are alienated. We separate ourselves from God. That's spiritual death. And spiritual death, separation from God, if it's not attended to, if you don't do something about it, if you aren't, if it's not healed, it has eternal consequences. You spend your eternity separated from God. It's eternal death. That's what Paul is speaking about in these verses. So the flesh, the sinful nature, is not your friend. I used to have a friend, and Mitch remembers this, we used to, we tried to help him get over his alcoholism. And, and on one occasion, I remember taking a bottle of, of beer and, and holding it up and saying to him, hold it, now look at it, and say to it, you are not my friend, you are my enemy. We've got to do that with that old sinful nature. It's not your friend. It's your enemy. Because look what it's doing. It's taking you to death. It's separating you from God. Both now in the present, and if there's nothing in between, into the eternal future. And that, I think, helps to make sense of what Paul is saying in verse 6 of our passage. To set the mind on the flesh is death. What Paul is saying here is the person who's walking according to the flesh, the person who's got their mind set on the flesh, there's only one place for them, and that's death. The person who's controlled by their old sinful nature is spiritually dead. Both now and again, if nothing happens in the interim, into the long eternal future. So much for death. There's another term that also needs a little bit of clarification. It's the term, the law. The law. When, when Paul speaks about the law here, I think he's referring to more than just the Ten Commandments. I think he's referring to more than just the Mosaic law, the Torah. He, I think, is referring here to law as a regime. It's something that seeks to rule over us, to control us, to imprison us. And you can see that in different ways in Paul's writings. When I was at school, um, at St. George's, one of the best schools in the country, <laughs> we had this English master. He was an ex-army. He was Colonel Lind. And Colonel Lind was our English teacher, and he would have these times in the class when he would publicly, we would have to, in the open, spell words that he would give us, individually. So it was a case of, okay, Spence! And he had this English sort of accent, like a colonel. And he would say, so how do you spell fissure? <laughs> F-I-S-H-U-R-E. No! Bang you on the back. No, that's not how to spell fissure. Now spell it again, but do it properly this time. <laughs> and the law's a little bit like that. It's not just a list of rules and regulations. It's demanding. It holds people captive. 
It wags its finger at you. It tells you that you're a failure and that you're not any good. Not only does it lay down in detail the way that one should live, but it also condemns you when you fail to keep it. It's a case of, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you playing on the Sabbath? And Jean, what's that pork doing on your fork? (laughs) And Brenda, is that unforgiveness that I can see in your heart? You bad, bad, bad girl. The law as a regime, it's a tyrant. Now when the law and the flesh come together, they make a very bad combination. Because the law bears down on us saying, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And the flesh reacts by saying, I'm not going to go your way. And there's a conflict and we disobey and we're proud and there's an arrogance that takes place. The law wags its finger at us and then condemns us. Says you're guilty. You have no excuse. Go to jail. Do not pass go. And spiritual death is the result. So not a good combination. And you can see something of that dynamic playing itself out in verse 3. Where where Paul speaks of the law being weakened by the flesh. The law can tell us what to do. But it doesn't have the ability to help us. The law can call us to live holy lives, but it can't help us live those lives. The law can demand that we be righteous, but it can't give us righteousness. Only Jesus can do that, as we shall see in a moment. If you think that you can achieve righteousness through keeping the law through following an endless list of rules and regulations, through more human effort, through trying harder and harder to be perfect, then I want you to know this. You will continually fail. You will never succeed. And you'll be living under a heavy load of condemnation because your sinful self will always get in the way. That's what Paul is saying. The law is weakened by the flesh. So much for the law. One last clarification. We will get to our passage at some time. But one last clarification. The clarification of this term, the spirit. What does Paul mean when he speaks of the spirit? Well, in these verses, he's speaking, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The spirit is not a force. He's not a thing. He's not an it. He's a person, the third person, as I said, of the Trinity. And when you become a Christian, you don't just join a club. You don't just take on a whole lot of new beliefs about God. You don't just go to church on Sunday. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Paul speaks elsewhere about bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And here in our passage, have a look at verse 9. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ, he says. The Christian is someone who has the Spirit indwelling him. Now with those few brief 
clarifications, let's turn now to the passage before us, chapter 8. And it might, might be a little bit easier to understand something of what Paul is speaking about in these verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there are two reasons, there are two reasons why he says that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the first is because we've been cleared of all charges from the law. The bad stuff we've done, forgiven. Our guilt before the law, wiped clean. Our separation from God, gone. Removed. We now have complete access into God's very presence. No barriers, nothing holding us back. And you say, well, how is that possible? How does that come about? Well, Paul tells us in verses 3 and 4 in our passage. We are not condemned because Jesus was condemned instead of us on the cross. He died not for his own sins because he didn't commit any sins. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all of the Lord's requirements perfectly. No, he was condemned for our sins. He bore the punishment that we deserved. He died in our place. It's a little bit like a story that I heard some time back, maybe changed slightly over the years, fading memory and that sort of thing. But, but the, as I remember, there were these two girls who were traveling into Thailand. And as they crossed the border, the, the border authorities discovered that there was in one of the bags that there was some cocaine. And in Thailand, that's very serious. I remember people getting executed for the very thing. And so this one young girl whose bag was holding the cocaine was liable to go to jail and possibly suffer more. But her friend said, in fact, no, it's mine. It's my cocaine. She didn't know about it. And the friend went to jail and she was able to go free. And it's a little bit of what Jesus has done for us. He has died... He has paid the price for us so that we might go free. So when the law says to you, look, you've messed up. You're a bad person. You've sinned here, here, and here, and here. We can say, you're absolutely right. I have. But I'm not condemned. Because Jesus has already paid the price for my sins in full. So we're cleared of all charges under the law. But there is another reason why we're not condemned. And that's because we no longer live under the load that the law places on us. Back in verse 6 of chapter 7, which really is where this passage picks up from. Paul says this, he says, listen carefully, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. We have been released from the law. The law as regime, 
the law as finger-wagging tyrant. We've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. I, I remember camping in Jamani Mani Mountains. We'd go there as a school, as a as a group of young school kids, and we would walk about 20 kilometers a day. But we would carry these heavy, heavy backpacks, which had all our food. They felt like they weighed about 100 pounds. And as we walked the 20 kilometers or whatever, the, the, the bags would cut into our shoulders. It was like really heavy and exhausting work, especially when you're going up a hill. And by the end of the day, we would just literally, we'd just push the straps off our shoulders and allow the, 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 the backpacks to fall to the ground. And there was this exhilarating experience. I remember it so vividly, where after you've dropped the bag, the heavy bag, you would start walking and you'd feel, I can almost fly here. It's so light. Do you know what I mean? The burden had been lifted. And that's a little bit of what Paul is describing here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we no longer live under the burden of the wagging finger, the law fault-finding tyrant. We no longer live under its endless rules and regulations. They're things that weigh us down. They're like a heavy load that we carry. They are continually threatening us with punishment. Well, we have been freed from that. We are no longer answerable to the law as regime. It's as Paul says, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. You see, we've been transferred from one regime to another. That's what Paul is saying here. It's a little bit like in the States when you go from one place to another place, they're different jurisdictions. And if you end up in this jurisdiction, you can actually go uh, to the authorities trying to catch you because you're not in that jurisdiction any longer. And that's where we're at. We're in a new jurisdiction, the jurisdiction of the Spirit, the regime of the Spirit. And that's the second reason why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been freed from the accusations of the law, firstly. And then secondly, we've been freed from the burden of law-keeping. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is one small detail that you must not overlook. This deliverance from the tyranny of the law is not for everyone. It is only for a select few. Paul makes that very clear in verse 1. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and from what we know from the rest of Scripture, we know that to be in Christ Jesus is to be connected with Him, to be incorporated into Christ through faith in Christ, through faith in the work that He's done for us on the cross. And when that happens, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are transferred to a new way of living. To a new realm. What Paul calls life according to the Spirit. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 9. Back then in the old days, you lived your life according to the flesh. Your mind was governed by the flesh. But now that you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's the Holy Spirit who has set you on this new trajectory. 
this new trajectory towards life and perfection. The day is coming when you will be without sin. The day is coming when you will be perfectly righteous and holy and morally pure. It's coming. You're on the way there. You'll be just like your Savior. And yes, we're not there yet, but that is the path that we're on. That's where we had it. And you should begin to see evidence of that transformation a long time before it actually gets, comes to fulfillment. A growing desire to see our friends coming to faith. A putting to death of that old man in us so that we're not seduced by him. More fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace and patience. There should be evidence that we are in Christ. It's a little bit like when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It doesn't just happen like that. But there's a change, a transformation, and there's evidence that something is happening. There's the cocoon. There's, there's the, the shedding of the old skin. There's, there's this growing of new wings, and suddenly, boop, out comes this butterfly. But the evidence is there beforehand. And you should expect to see something of that in those who are on their way to heaven. So there's a question I think might be in some of your minds, and, and, and maybe it is, who knows. You might be asking the question, hey man, Paul is describing me here. I'm this person who's living according to the flesh. I'm this person who's got my mind settled on this, the flesh. I don't want to be that guy anymore. So what should I do? Should I try harder? Read my Bible more? Pray more often? Be a better person all round? To which Paul says, uh-uh, not going to happen. It's a non-starter. Why? Well, because you are controlled by that old nature. It holds you in its grip. It won't let you go. Isn't that what Paul is saying in verse 7? The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So what hope is there for me? Well, repentance might be a good place to begin. Sorry, God. Sorry for the awful things I've done. Sorry for the way in which I have worshipped my own idols instead of you. Sorry, God, for the way in which some of the things that I've done are so smelly, so stinky. Forgive me. Begin maybe with repentance would be a good place to begin. And then put your trust firmly in what Jesus has won for you on the cross. Complete forgiveness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. No condemnation when we've trusted in Christ. Jesus has paid the price for your sins, not partly, not just a little bit, but in full. And then slay that old man or that old woman. Put the flesh to death. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul speaks of crucifying the flesh, nailing it to the cross. And then start walking in the new way of the Spirit. Spirit. 
Remember, it's the Holy Spirit who makes walking according to the Spirit possible. You need Him to make it happen. Without the Spirit, it's impossible to live a spiritual life. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us on the inside. It's the Holy Spirit who shows us Christ and who causes our hearts to love Him, who helps us to believe. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up God's Word to us, who enables us to love and not to hate, to see people as people and not as objects, who teaches us self-control. It's the Holy Spirit who humbles us and strengthens us. To the Galatians, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. So next time your sinful flesh rises up and says, Hey, come, let's go this way. Come, let's have some fun. It's going to be a bit naughty, but so what? It's at that time that you need to say, No, I don't have to listen to you anymore. You're not my master any longer. I have a new master. I live under a new regime. I live by the Spirit. And if your flesh trips you up, as it will do, don't just lie there. Don't just stay down. Get up. Don't let yourself be condemned. But rise up. Confess. Find forgiveness. And then continue on your journey. Knowing the forgiveness that Christ has won for you is complete. And carry on with your new life, your life in the Spirit, living and walking by the Spirit. Amen. Come, let's pray. We confess, Lord, that what Paul is speaking about here is not easy. We find within ourselves this temptation so often to go off in the wrong direction. I do pray that we might experience and know more of that power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Opening our eyes to see something of the awfulness of our own sin. Encouraging us to, to love God more and to go His way. Helping us in our weakness giving us the strength that we need to do the very things that you want us to do. We pray too that we might be much more sensitive to the things that your Holy Spirit is asking of us. We pray for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.